passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, July 3rd. Not July 4th. That's tomorrow. July the 3rd, 2022. I'm joined, as always, by a ring announcer. Who, and ring announcing is really just nothing but talking into a microphone and saying names. Chris Cole. Hello. It is untrue. Myself and Nikita Fuyuki from NOAA disagree with you. He has a great article about it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's great to be here. It's 4th of July weekend in the United States, so I got my uh, red and blue, and there's little white uh, dots on the blue bow tie. And uh, we had somebody on Twitter, uh, they were very upset because there hasn't been any garden updates. I could tell you that we harvested the strawberries a couple okay. weeks ago, and uh, I think raspberries are soon. But the grapes, I think we're, we're finally going to get grapes this year, and uh, a lot of them, really? so I'm very so takes- excited. It takes a couple of years sometimes for some of these to bear fruit. Yeah, three to five years in. Wow. Grapes and cherries. I still, this is year four for my cherry trees, and I still don't think I'm going to get cherries, so sad. Mm. But, sad. But we got grapes. Um, well, you should have told me about this. We, we could have put this beyond the paywall and monetized it. Um, <laughs> exciting exciting update. Um, but yeah, ring announced the show last night. Got home at two in the morning. I'm here for uh, WrestleNomics Radio. So <laughs> Where were you last night? Uh, we were in Binghamton uh, for Excite Wrestling. So. Excite, how was Excite? It was, it was fun. It was a it was a memorial show for a wrestler who passed away. So it was there was like a hundred people on the card, and I split ring announcing duties with uh, another ring announcer. So you know, basket raffles, all that. So this is for Anarchy, right? Uh yes, yes, Anarchy yeah. Ash Aubrey. Yeah. yeah, who made Gear Two for a yes. lot of people. Yeah, yeah, Ethan Page being probably the most prolific, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read about that. I was very shocked. Um, so, let's see. Um, we are going to be in Rochester uh, Wednesday. Is that correct? Yes, Wednesday. This Wednesday. Mm-hmm. We are driving down to Rochester. All right. And uh, let's see here. Uh, you're driving. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I don't mind hitting the road. Mm-hmm. We uh, we are paying for our own tickets. I mean, making that very clear. Uh, to to be fair and balanced here, I, I might go to MSG Raw later this month. We'll see. Uh, no no definitive travel plans yet, but uh, we will be at the Blue Cross Arena. Um, are, are we going to wear s- suits and ties to the Blue Cross Arena? <laughs> We have not discussed this. I mean, if you really want to, we can. <laughs> no, you can you can wear whatever you want. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see here. If people want to participate, uh, 
with a super chat or a comment today. How, how do they do that, Chris? Yep, so on the YouTube stream, there's a little dollar sign, and you click that dollar sign with your question. You can put whatever amount you see fit for your question. I think it starts at 99 cents. Uh, I thought it was a dollar, but we get 99 cent <laughs> super chat. So, Good. Um, what, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, uh, it's we got a lot to talk about today here. Um, we're going to discuss the business of Forbidden Door, uh, Logan Paul signing with WWE, uh, analysis of how long matches perform in television ratings. But our lead story is the New York Magazine article that came out about Rita Chatterton's allegations against Vince McMahon, and they were corroborated in this article. Yeah. Uh, did you watch the Money in the Bank premium live event last night? I did not as I was doing a wrestling show, so I was working oh, on a right. wrestling show. That's right. You hate WWE. Uh, did you watch uh, Blood and Guts Dynamite on Wednesday night? I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's get to this this article that came out on Monday from New York Magazine from Abe Reisman, uh revisiting the Rita Chatterton allegations. All right. In 1992, she came forward publicly to accuse Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the iron-willed owner of the WWF, of raping her in the summer of 1986. However, the statute of limitations... Real quick, who is Rita Chatterton, for those who may may not know? She was WWE's first female referee. Yes, as it says in the the headline right there. Um, I believe she's a member of the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, too. I think she went in, like, this past year. Okay. Um, So, yeah. However, the statute of limitations for rape had already run out by then, so no charges were brought against McMahon. What's more is the accusation came out while the WWF was mirrored in a number of unrelated scandals, and it got lost in the shuffle. Since then, her story was whispered about and occasionally cited by wrestling journalists bold enough to risk earning McMahon's ire. The news so disgusted Leonard in Zatari, a former professional wrestler who wrestled as Mario Mancini, that in a conversation with New York Magazine, he did something no wrestler ever has. He corroborated the allegation that McMahon raped Chatterton. I remember it was like yesterday, says Inzatari. She was a wreck. She was shaking. She was crying. According to Inzatari, in the summer of 86, he found Chatterton standing alone near the wrestling ring a few hours before a WWF show. She looks at me and bursts out in tears, and Zatari recalls, and she grabbed me, and I go, Rita, what happened? And Zatari doesn't use the word rape while talking about what happened, but he describes something that sounds like the conventional definition of that term. Was she taken advantage of? Absolutely, and Zatari says. Was she scared to death? Absolutely. Did she want to do that? Probably not. And, and just to, to interject here, we're, we're uh, reading a number of excerpts. We're not reading yeah. the entire article. I, I highly recommend that people read this. If you're interested in learning, about, learning more about this story. Um, we're, we're skipping over a lot of the, the really uh, detailed descriptions of, of the allegations uh, against Vince here, uh, just to give a heads up on that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there will be uh, some, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe some strong or disturbing language here. So you can go ahead. Inzatari said nothing uh, to anyone about what chattered and told him. You just keep your mouth shut because it's Vince McMahon. Inzatari said, what are you going to do, stooge on Vince McMahon? You're going to be blackballed from the wrestling business. One of the things that sticks with me and always will, she tells me, is was after he got done doing his business, he looked at me and said, remember when I told you not to mess with any of the wrestlers? Well, you just did. Chatterton says she went to the ladies' room of the diner and cried my heart out. After that, I washed up, got in the car, went home. 
and took a five-hour shower. The next day, she says she called a lawyer whose ads she's seen on local television. He was willing to take the case, but I knew it would be an uphill battle, she says. It came down that it was my word against McMahon's because I took a shower and didn't go to the hospital. I was scared, she continues. He was powerful. It was going to be him over me. She decided not to press charges. Chatterton says she only had two friends in WWF, Inzatari and the late Andre Rusimov, the world-famous wrestler known as Andre the Giant. She says she told both of them allegedly what happened within a couple weeks of it happening. Uh, Chatterton's mother died in 1991 and her father died in 1992. Her restraints were gone. I wanted to tell the world what a scumbag McMahon was, she says. Within a month about her dad's death, she appeared on Rolla Rivera's show after they approached her. After, after Chatterton laid out the allegations in brutal detail on Rivera's television program, the WF reportedly declined to comment. The wrestling firm was embroiled in at least three other major scandals at that time, including allegations of child molestation, sexual harassment, and steroid distribution, and Chatterton's story failed to make any waves. She finally decided to give up on wrestling when Andre the Giant died in early 1993. She and Rusimov had remained close, and she attended a memorial service at Rusimov's estate in rural North Carolina on February 24, 1993. McMahon was also in attendance. Vince walked up to me, Chatter recalls, and said, It's nice to meet you. He knew exactly who I was, she adds. I said, Nice to meet me. I told him to go fuck himself and walked away. It was their final face-to-face interaction. Nine days later, McMahon and his wife, Linda, filed a lawsuit against Chatterton, Rivera, Rivera's producer, two of Rivera's production partners, and disgruntled former WWF wrestler David Schultz. The suit claimed Chatterton had been part of a conspiracy involving all the defendants in which they performed numerous torturous acts with the intent of afflicting service or severe emotional distress upon plaintiffs, including the fabrication of false accusation of rape against plaintiff Vincent McMahon, which was aired on the nation's airwaves. The suit never went anywhere. Filings were made by both sides, but the McMahons abandoned the effort when it came clear that Vince would go to trial on the steroid distribution charges in which was later acquitted. When the political website Talking Points Memo brought up Chatterton's allegations in the context of Linda's 2010 run for Senate in Connecticut, the McMahon's longtime lawyer, Jerry McDivitt, brought the hammer down. Make no mistake, McDivitt told the TPM reporter when asked when she asked for comment, if those false allegations are repeated now and again, Mr. McMahon will pursue all available remedies against those associated with this smear job. TPM ran the post, but didn't pursue the story further. Now, with McMahon facing renewed scrutiny of alleged sexual misconduct, Chatterton is cautiously hopeful that the man might face consequences. He's not going to pay for what we did to me but she's glad that the hush money allegations are coming to light. Now this girl's come forward, Chatterton says of the paralegal whose friend sent the initial emails to the WB board, and I'm sure others will come forward because we're not the only two. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Inzatari, too, sees storm clouds ahead for his one-time employer. I'll tell you what I'm, why I'm hopping on the bandwagon now, the former grappler tells me. There's worse stuff than that. Okay. Uh, so... Just to, to catch everybody up, if you, if you don't know, so the, of course, the, on, on June 15th, the Wall Street Journal reported that W's board of directors is investigating Vince McMahon for uh, alleged hush money payments that he paid $3 million to a former paralegal who he had a sexual relationship with, that John Laurinaitis had a sexual relationship with. Uh, paralegal was given 
a raise from $100,000 to $200,000. Uh, that would be company money, uh, but the, the, the NDA and the hush money payments that para, foreign paralegal agreed to, uh, Vince's side at least says that those are, uh, those, that was personal money. Um, the board of directors is investigating additional NDAs. Details about those agreements, who those NDAs involved, is not public. So, in that context, the Rita Chatterton story, which has been public since 1992, uh, is being revisited here in New York Magazine, again by Abe Reisman, who's working on a biography of Vince McMahon. Um, so, that's what's happening there. Uh, so, Rita Chatterton alleges, it's not clear from the excerpts that we just read, alleges that in 1986 that she was raped in, in Vince's limousine. Uh, as, as they were discussing, as she wanted to discuss, you know, what her future was with the company and whether she could get more bookings and things like that. Um, so that was made public in 1992 amid other scandals, the array of scandals that we sometimes refer to as Titan Gate, 1992. Um, and she went on to uh, Geraldo Rivera's television programs. You can find uh, Rita Chatterton herself uh, telling her story uh, on those programs on YouTube if you search for it. Um, I, I don't think a lot of wrestling fans have, uh, who might, you know, listen to podcasts and, and things like that and, and read, you know, wrestling news and newsletters. Uh, I think a lot of people have not seen that stuff, uh, cause I didn't. So I'm guessing a lot of people haven't. Um, <clears throat> so that's what's happening there. Uh, this happened on, this, this story came out on Monday, Monday morning. Um, later that night, Monday night, uh, the John Cena tribute episode commemorating John Cena's 20 years in wrestling, uh, in WWE anyway, uh, Vince McMahon comes out and introduces him. Uh, they actually just put this, this is not part of the original uh, YouTube highlights of Raw that they usually upload that night, but they just uploaded I believe on Friday, they uploaded the video of Vince introducing John Cena. Um, so he's on TV again. So he's been on TV Friday the day that Vince steps down as CEO and chairman and is still running head of running the creative side, but he stepped down as CEO and chairman. Stephanie is officially in his role as interim CEO and chairwoman. By the way, I'm not sure. I mean, David Vixen Span has raised the point that it's what, what were Vince's capacities as, as CEO other than head of creative that he is actually stepping aside from not clear. Anyway, um, Vince went on TV on Friday for SmackDown, the 17th. Vince went on TV on Monday, unadvertised, uh, the following Monday, which would be, what, the 20th. And now on TV again, June 27th. Uh, just to show that, you know, everything is, is uh, this would be my analysis, right? Everything is normal. Nothing is not normal. Everything is normal. I'm here. I'm still here. And uh, everything's Okay. Uh, last night, Money in the Bank, which you did not watch, Chris Cole. Nope. I watched. I watched it on mute because there's only, only so much my senses can handle. There's only so much premium live event that I can that I can take in at, at once. Um, at the event uh, at MGM Grand Arena, uh, there are there's. Uh, this is coming from Aaron Oster on Twitter, uh, who shares a, a photo from the merchandise stand. They're selling Vince McMahon shirts at the merchandise stand uh, in, in Las Vegas. And uh, after the event is over with, they walk down the street 
to T-Mobile Arena where UFC is happening, and UFC puts them on the screen. Uh, Vince, Stephanie, Paul Levesque, and Pat McAfee uh, in a neck brace selling his attack from Baron Corbin. Um, so everything is normal. It's, it's really what Vince is best at is denying reality. And uh, I, I, I think back to like, you know, I, I guess it's, it's kind of coincidental that in 1992 uh, is when I start to have a lot of memories of, of wrestling. I'm, sh- I'm sure I was watching it for a couple of years before then, but in 1992, and I was not aware of, uh, of any of this, in, of, of any of the 1992 uh, scandal news at the time. Um, but I, I, I remember watching a lot of wrestling at that time and sort of starting to realize that there were, you know, people would leave or come and go and, and, and nothing would be acknowledged. And of course you got the underlying fact of wrestling being sort of kayfabe and, and pretending to be a real sport. Um, in a lot of ways, this is what Vince is very well practiced at is living with this elephant in the room and not paying any attention. This No, there's no elephant in this room. Everything's nope. fine. Um, and you look at some of these economic indicators, things aren't that bad. Uh, the stock price, which after the, the Wall Street Journal story broke on June 15th, uh, so this is just, so close the market, market closes, story's not broken yet, market closes, st- story comes out, uh, W stock price is at $67, $67 per share. It falls for a number of days in a row. It underperforms the indexes. So this is not just a macro effect. Uh, and but but since uh, in this past week, uh, the stock has climbed, including some days where it's outperformed the indexes. So the stock price is back to sixty-two and a half dollars, still off of its pre-Wall Street Journal story price, but it it did recover some of its value. Um, so it's not as if investors are continuing to see a damaging crisis here, even though there are upwards of seven uh, class action lawsuit press releases having been sent out uh, saying they're investigating the situation and looking to, to, to make a class action complaint. Um, Raw, this Monday, again, with the John Cena uh, episode celebrating his career. John Cena hasn't been on Raw since at least SummerSlam, right? Um, Raw was not just number one on cable this this week, not just number one if you average all three hours together, but each hour, even the less viewed third hour. These were the three most watched telecasts on all of television on Monday, uh, at least in the demo, not not in total viewership, but in the demo, which is what Showbuzz ranks them by, uh, and which which is what aver- advertisers buy advertising slots against. Uh, there wasn't super strong competition. To be fair, the, the next most watched uh, telecast was Celebrity Family Feud on ABC, uh, but Raw was the leader across all of television on Monday for the return of, of John Cena. Uh, Raw and SmackDown continue to do pretty well in ratings. NXT sort of went back to normal here, but uh, not not doing that badly relative to what it's been doing lately. And we've got the prelim rating for SmackDown that came out uh, Saturday morning for showing what SmackDown had done the night before, and it looks to have done basically equal Again, we'll get the you know the final on Monday as always, but it looks to have done basically equal to what it did the, the week before. So not what the enormous uh, advertised appearance of Vince did, which was about 2.4 million viewers, but over 2.2 million viewers, it looks like it's going to be finalized as. We'll see on Monday. Uh, so rating strong. 
stock fell at first, but stock recovering some of that value that it lost since then, uh, despite the Wall Street Journal report, despite the New York Magazine story interview with Rita Chatterton and Mario Mancini. By the way, the, the big one of the big takeaways of the New York Magazine article is that we've got Mario Mancini, who's a former jobber wrestler, a uh, friend of Rita Chatterton, saying that at the time, in 1986, the following day, Rita Chatterton tells him the story of what happened in the limo with Vince. Uh, she says she told Andre the Giant, too. Um, David Bixen's fan has pointed out that, by the way, uh, Bix and John Pollock and Wei Ting on Post Wrestling, I believe on Monday, their, da- their daily news show on Monday, had a great conversation with a lot of insight about this story um, that people should check out if they haven't already. Um, Rita Chatterton says she told Andre. The Observer says uh, at the time that you know they, they had heard that uh, somebody who's a major name in the industry uh, had told The Observer, that is Dave, that... You know, something had happened. So not clear if, if Dave was talking to, to Andre the Giants uh, or what was happening there. But there's that. Um, will there be more mainstream coverage of this? Maybe. Um, here that Real Sports with Brian Gumble is reaching out to people. Uh, so maybe that would happen. If that does happen, so Real Sports with Brian Gumble on HBO is a monthly program. Uh, they would be due for a new episode late in this month. Uh, so maybe that will happen. Uh, not saying that they're definitely going to do a story. I did re- reach out to them to, to confirm whether or not they were going to do a story. I didn't hear back. But um, that's that might be the next thing. But still, that's a few weeks away. Um, it's not as if this is still getting tons of media coverage. The interview, uh, the revisiting of the Riachashin allegations didn't get a ton of uh, mainstream news coverage. Business Insider covered it. Uh, maybe a couple of other publications. The wrestling media, uh, after some delay, in many cases, did cover it. Um, so that's what's happening there. Um, anything else to add here? Phil? No, I just, you know, I, I feel like we will see at least some more media coverage as time goes on, but we're seeing nothing from the WWE. And then they said they're not going to acknowledge it to the knowledge. Well, the hush money stuff until the allegation or to the investigations over and that this mm-hmm. won't be a knowledge at all by them. As you said, Vince McMahon goes to the, if you don't acknowledge it, it goes away theory, <laughs> you know? That's that's how he's been for a lot of controversies and all that. So, I mean, that's what they did after the Jamal Khashoggi murder. Um, yep. And uh, there's there's stuff here about about Dave Schultz and and Mario Mancini did an interview with I believe it's it, Cheap Heat is called is the po- name of the podcast. This is not the Sam Roberts Cheap Heat, uh, but he did an interview which people can find on YouTube also. Uh, just after this interview came out in. in New York Magazine, uh, saying things like Dave Schultz knows more, but Dave Schultz wants to be paid. Um, I don't know if Dave Schultz is going to end up being the most credible person to add to the story, but uh, yeah, I the, the the points that that Rita Chatterton makes in, in her interview here and that Mario Mancini makes in his interview here is that they believe there's more. They believe that there, and and that would reflect what is in the Wall Street Journal article. They're investigating one NDA that we know of with, the, with a certain paralegal who's no longer with the company as of January 2022. They're also investigating additional NDAs with people who are not named, at least yet. Um, or not, not that the former paralegal is named either, but we don't know who that involves, um, whether it involves other former W employees or other former W talent. Um, but 
it wouldn't surprise me if there are a lot more uh, allegations and stories of, uh, at a minimum, inappropriate relationships between Vince and people working at WB. Um, yeah. So, All right. Yes. We will move on to Forbidden Door Business. And we'll get into the uh, pay-per-view buys, which uh, you reported. Uh, Forbidden Door generated about 127,000 uh, worldwide pay-per-view buys across digital and traditional distributors, according to multiple people at AEW and New Japan who are familiar with the sales. Just over 7,000 of those sales happened on New Japan streaming service, a New Japan Pro Wrestling World. After splitting a pay-per-view revenues with various carriers, net revenue for the event will come about to $4.4 million, not including any sales from theater viewing or sponsors like DraftKings. Mm-hmm. So we could compare this to uh, other pay-per-views that AEW has done. Uh, I don't know, by the way, if this is... You know, this is advertised as a joint show between AEW and New Japan. By all indications... You know, everything about this show looked like an AEW show in terms of, I don't know, the production, um, the venue that they've, which is an a, a venue that AEW has ran before, uh, the pay-per-view platforms, with the exception of New Japan World, were all platforms, as far as I know, that had distributed AEW pay-per-view before. Um, so I don't know if there's some sort of agreement in terms of did New Japan and All Elite Wrestling share pay-per-view revenue, for example, here? Did... New Japan simply get a licensing fee. Uh, can't confirm what what exactly the, the story was here. So, keeping that in mind, there was at least one extra platform for pay-per-view buys, uh, which was New Japan World, I'm told. That platform sold 7,000, which you know brings 120,000 to 127,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, expectations for this going in. Uh, you made a prediction for Skull on this very program. How many yeah. pay-per-view buys this show would do? Meanwhile, I can't remember if I said 130, 135, but I was close. <laughs> Either way. You've got, you've got the naysayers out there saying that this I, – I, I declined to make a prediction because I was you know, probably like, – there's a chance that I would end up reporting it. So I would have gone much lower than where you went. I guess, I guess you were a little high and uh, – I should say that this is not a final number and the traditional carriers will take months to finalize, but it's probably going to end up somewhere in here. Nobody will, will ever tell us the real actual sales numbers because I don't think they want, because I don't think carriers want that information shared. But um, we, I do believe these numbers, which we could put on the screen here, okay. the, the buy numbers. I do believe these numbers are accurate. Obviously, we're, we're rounding, if nothing else, to the nearest thousand or the nearest 5,000 or something like that. But yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I knew it was going to, in in my opinion, I knew it was going to do uh, less numbers than, than double or nothing. And I think we kind of saw that with the ratings, right? Like, I mean, you know, there is a lot of American fans that do enjoy the New Japan Pro Wrestling product. But I don't think the way this was, I don't think it that demand isn't as much as maybe it was expected. I mean, look at the TV ratings all through the month of of June, and we'll look at that obviously in full detail when we do the uh, uh, who's the draw um, this month uh, for the June numbers. But it just not uh, that predicted maybe knew there was going to be a drop. Did I think it was be a super low drop, like a hundred thousand? No, but I mean, just looking at TV ratings, you knew there was going to be some type of drop because look at the TV ratings; they're done with the New Japan angle, blood and guts. They're back to over a million. Total what household. you're saying is, what about the casual fan? 
casual fan doesn't care about New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's what you're saying, right? I mean, if you want to say that in very, very simple terms, I think the casual fan doesn't know a lot about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And they just, being in the middle of summer, they weren't going to try to figure out. I, th- I think a major factor here is are the injuries and lack of CM Punk. Um, what does this do if you do have CM Punk versus Hir- Hiroshi Tanahashi on top? It it, it does better. Um, yeah. If you got Brian Danielson versus maybe Zack Saber, that I don't know if that makes a huge difference, but that's something. Um, it is a, only a month removed from the previous pay per view. When up to this point, AEW has done nothing but you know three months in between pay per views, uh, so it's more volume. Um, then again, pay-per-view is proven to be a pretty inelastic product. What does that mean? Uh, at least when it comes to price, it doesn't really matter what you charge for it. it or it matters, but it, you can, there's a lot of leeway. You can, you can raise the price, you can lower the price, and the sales don't, don't strongly move to, to the movement of the price. Uh, we've learned that from the in-your-house history. We've learned that from the W Network. You can cut the price into one-sixth. And you might double sales, but it's not going to six times the sales, you know. Uh, you can increase the price of pay-per-view from $15 to $20 to $30 to $35 to $50, and it's not going to have a huge bearing on, on the sales that, that you can achieve. Uh, this pay-per-view was the same price as AEW pay-per-views, uh, whether, you know, from, from, market, from market to market. It was $50 in the U.S. It was $20 on flight internationally. Um, its price didn't change, but the volume of the product was more frequent, we could say, right? Because this was not a quarterly pay-per-view. This was a pay-per-view that was only one month removed from the last pay-per-view, uh, but still did comparably might be a stretch, but st- did pretty close to what pay-per-views usually do for AEWs, despite the weakened card um, and, and I think some earned criticism about the build. Um, did still lower, it, this would be the lowest the least bought AEW pay-per-view since Double or Nothing 2021, which is pre-full capacity uh, live events. There were, I believe there were maybe thousands of people in attendance for Double or Nothing 2021. We'd have to look yeah. that up. But because um, they did that, that's one, one of the ones that they did in Daly's place where it's outdoors. And in Jacksonville, so they, yeah. They, so they put more people in there. But since CM Punk has been here uh, in AEW, pay-per-views have done no lower than until this one, which he wasn't on 145 for full gear 2021. Anyway. Um, yeah. Now, if they do this again next year, it will probably be an increase. Cause like you said, the CM, CM punk, you would think would be part of that show. Brian Danielson, um, maybe Kenny Omega. So, right. True. It, it's hard to imagine a weaker card than this one for this pool of talent. Uh, like you said, no CM Punk, no Brian Danielson, no Kenny Omega, all due to injury. Um, no Tomohiro Ishii, no Big mm-hmm. Tom. I mean, how, how can you expect to draw when you don't have Tomohiro Ishii on the card? Is oh, I was going to ask you, is Naito hurt as well? No, he was at a baseball game. He was at a baseball oh, game. Okay, I was like, I was... Because um, he's like the one when I was really like, why is he not on this if he's not her, like? Yeah, he he was the biggest name probably that yeah. was not not on this show. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens next year. Um, this this exceeded my expectations and, and the expectations of a lot of people. Um, I know there's uh, what is it? Um, there's some betting site now that's based I think in the UK that was taking bets on 
what this pay-per-view would do according to our reports. Um, I, th- I believe 135 was the over-under, but over 35 was definitely the underdog. Uh, so there you have it. No, I did not bet on this. And uh, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, as far as all the money combined here, uh, I, I know Tony Khan tweeted on, I believe it was Tuesday, that you know this event grossed more than a million non-pay-per-view. That's, be- that's before the pay-per-view providers take away their share. Um, more than a million dollars as a live gate. Russell Tick's reporting 1.1 million. I believe the Observer probably recording 1.1 million for a live gate. That that would be consistent with what I could estimate based on what Russell Tick's reported for tickets distributed times 95%. Assume 5% of those tickets distributed are comps, and give you give it an average ticket price. Did I put it in here? Give it an average ticket price of about 75 dollars. You get to 1.1 million when you round. Um, then we assume 15 dollars per capita. In terms of any merch, that gives us another two hundred thousand dollars or so. Um, and ba- based on all these, all these assumptions, that I'm not going to read an audio, but uh, we get to four point four million to AEW and or New Japan, depending on how they made this business arrangement. How does that compare? That would be what? What do we got here? Uh, all Out remains the most lucrative AEW pay per view ever, right? All Out, the the return of CM Punk to the ring. 5.6 million is my estimate. These are these are estimates. 5.6 million. The second most lucrative event is Double or Nothing 2022, 5.1 million. Uh, then Revolution of this year, 4.7 million. Uh, so so this Forbidden Door at 4.4 million would beat out Full Gear, mainly driven by the gate. Less pay per view revenue, but uh, Full Gear I'm estimating the gate was something like 650 thousand uh, dollars. This one. In the United Center, higher attendance, perhaps higher ticket prices. That's that that drives full, uh, Forbidden Door above uh, Full Gear 2021. I believe that, that was in Minnesota. Is that, is that correct? Fair remember, yeah. We have a uh, super uh, chat from Tim B. Thank you, Tim. Any chance we can start tracking the pay per view conversion rate for shows compared to the four week TV ratings? A new WrestleNomics metric. Question. Well, the thing is, TV ratings are, if all of the things are equal, I expect linear TV ratings, unless Nielsen, I guess, you know, if, if, if someday we've all got access to live television through some sort of streaming product, and I guess to, to some extent we do, but if that becomes more complete and ubiquitous, um, and that offsets the, the deterioration of, of MVPD subs, which we'll get into later. Um, so so what, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, TV ratings are, if all other things are equal, if your popularity is equal, your star power is equal, everything else is equal, TV ratings I would expect to decline slightly over time from year to year by at least a few percent each year. Um, so so that we, we could calculate that. Um, I don't know if that would would would, would not be misleading, though, um, because, you know, it's it, the, the TV viewership over time is probably going to be lower. So that conversion rate is going to end up being higher, uh, and we're we're going to tell probably a, a slightly more positive story than I would think the reality is. Um, maybe there's some way to isolate it, though. Um, what I have been finding is that, and I did not go back and check this, but I have been finding that the, the and I think we talked about this several weeks ago, that the the web search for the string 
you can do Google Trends, and you just look at the web search for the string, AEW space PPV, and you look at the, the two days prior to a AEW pay-per-view date, um, if you start at like double or nothing 2021 or 2020, I think it is, you do see some correlation between what we end up reporting for buys and what we end up seeing in, in the, the two days prior to the date for that AEW PPV web search term for what that's worth. Um, so, um, reception, did you watch this pay-per-view? I actually, uh, I've, I've seen some of it, but I have not even got a chance of going around watching it yet. Take us through the card. I've seen some clips and stuff. Start starting <laughs> with the buy-in. Um, so this, uh, according to cage match. So looking at the, the voters in cage match. So, so for example, the, this might be a little bit more by now, but 380 cage matchers inmates, the cage match.net. They voted on this. This is think of this as rotten tomatoes or something like that. The critical reception for this event, a, out of 10, a 9.27. Uh, compared to all other AEW pay-per-views, this would be the second most well-received. The second most well-received behind All Out 2021, which was also the most lucrative pay-per-view that AEW has ever done. Uh, so this is very well-received. Um, some people, may, may, maybe including myself, uh, not that excited about it going in because of all the changes to the card and all the injuries that happened in the build. Uh, but this was very well-received. Uh, at least by the voters, 380 of them on cage match. Um, so there's that. Um, now another, not quite pay-per-view, although it probably was still distributed on pay-per-view, but a premium live event live on Peacock in the W network, by the way, in Australia, you could watch this on linear television. I believe, uh, their, their TV partner in Australia, Foxtel, um, put it on free television for some reason. Um, Money in the Bank, uh, of course, had to move from Allegiant Stadium in Nick Khan's hometown of, of Las Vegas uh, after ticket sales. I do believe, so this is basically what I, I'm not 100% positive on this, but this is my belief is that the stadium probably sold more tickets than, than they ended up being, than they would have been able to fit in this venue. Yeah. Um, so let, let, let's see what they put in here. Uh, tickets distributed, according to Rustics, for Money in the Bank was over 12,000, 12,076. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at Legion Stadium, they sold more than 12,000 or more than maybe even 13,000, whatever the absolute maximum capacity would be for, for their configuration in MGM Grand Arena. But it wasn't, the sales weren't high enough to justify all the expenses that would come along with doing the event at that stadium. And maybe with some other budgeting that were embedded in that plan, uh, including the talent, because we, we saw Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns initially advertised for this event, and obviously they did not appear on this event. Um, so they moved this, as everyone has wanted to say, to the more intimate confines of MGM Grand Arena for Money in the Bank uh, so far, and uh, this is only with 33 votes, and actually I have 69 votes over here. So this, this is from last night, but there's quite a, there's up to 70 votes now. Uh, we're showing on the screen a 6.15 rating for the reception on cage match. It is actually up to 6.27. Not a huge difference, but a, but a, a, a difference. Uh, that would put it, I don't know, on par with WrestleMania Sunday. This is, uh, I would say that's about average for, for a W pay-per-view premium live event. Um, so that's the reception uh, for, for Money in the Bank. 
Um, there we go. And have you heard? Yeah, Logan Paul. Has Logan Paul s- signed with WWE. Uh, t- t- tell us what Ariel Hawani tweeted about this uh, signing. Yep. So he had two tweets. Uh, one tweet was Logan Paul had signed a deal with WWE. Uh, he just announced on Twitter. Uh, per sources, it's a multi-year deal to compete at multiple events per year. No return date set, but could be next month at SummerSlam. Miz would make a lot of sense. Now, additional details per the sources on the second tweet. Uh, deal includes an undisclosed number of premium live events across 2022 and 2023. He'll likely, I'm told, have his first big appearance at SummerSlam, but could be on TV. Before that, he signed his deal yesterday, and that was uh, out on uh, June 30th, that tweet. Okay. So, uh, is Logan Paul huge? Do you know, did you know who Logan Paul was before he appeared on WrestleMania this year? Yes. How did you know him? Um, I knew him through really kind of the boxing appearances. Uh, and you know, they're YouTube stars and all that. Like I always heard people talk about them. They come up on social media feeds, but what I really started to pay attention was the boxing stuff with Triller that him and his brother so, were doing. Okay. So hold up. There's a brother named Jake Paul. Yes. Okay. Isn't Jake Paul the one who's like, who's like boxing? Um, who, who's, who's the, the, the box, the greatest boxer of our time who, who fought, uh, Conor McGregor. Mayweather. Mayweather. He fought Mayweather, right? Mayweather just like just toyed with him for like nine rounds or something, right? Um, yes. So there's Jake Paul too. But Jake Paul – so Logan Paul has done boxing also uh, through Triller? Uh, yes. Uh, he is 0-1-2 and in his fights. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he uh, had a split decision against KSI uh, and lo- – and so a draw and a loss to KSI. Um, KSI. Oh, let's see here. KSI. I, I, I know the answer to all these questions. I'm just seeing if you do. Yeah. Uh, I, to, I, uh, out of UK, I don't, I, I don't really know much about KSI. I feel like I do if I like really see it. But yeah, KSI and Logan Paul. But he looks like he's the one that fought Floyd Mayweather, not Jake. Really? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, but they, this isn't. This is now what they are quite known for. But before the boxing stuff, they were known for, for being YouTubers? Yes. What kind of YouTube content did they make? Um, it was like fights, wasn't it? <laughs> like, I, 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 like I said, I didn't really become super familiar with them. I mean, I heard of them, but I didn't become familiar until they actually showed up in boxing, in the boxing world. Then you start hearing about all these boxing fights. So I, I, this, this sounds really, so uh, Logan Paul was involved in controversy about a, a, a video that he did. Uh, that was the, in, in the suicide force in Japan, right? Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway, uh, he was on WrestleMania, obviously in a, was a tag match, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. It was him and the Miz versus the Mysterios. If I remember. Okay. And then, like, Miz turned on him afterward. Right? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. You're supposed to take notes about this. Um, yeah. He wore uh, a very rare Charizard card to the ring, too. <laughs> but, uh, so, 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 uh, it, it, it's, it struck me, you know, sort of vaguely watching WrestleMania this year, which I, which, which, which I did, even though we, we remember a few details from it. Um, Logan Paul, Pat McAfee, Johnny Knoxville, 
this was a very WrestleMania 11-ish WrestleMania this year. By that, I mean it was loaded with celebrities. And it sort of started to occur to me that, you know, maybe the future of this company and, and really a, a point of differentiation from typical wrestling and blood and guts things like AEW, coupled with WB's Vince McMahon-driven inability to cultivate traditional wrestling stars, that WWE, over time, especially if Vince McMahon continues to be that of creative for a number of years to come, then maybe WWE continues to become this presentation, especially during their premium live events, especially on their on the highest level like WrestleMania, continues to become more and more of this celebrity deathmatch type product, you know, live action. Everybody remembers celebrity deathmatch, right? The the claymation yep. MTV mm-hmm. thing from the you know the, the late nineties. Um, why why develop stars when you can just buy them? You know. Um, so maybe that's what happens, um, and that's that's an answer to WWE's inability to cultivate stars. I know theory was in some ways elevated last night. Liv Morgan, I guess. Um, are those stars that are going to be major stars for WWE for years to come? I don't know. Uh, WWE through attrition has established Roman Reigns as a big star. Uh, Brock Lesnar has you know had to go to UFC and come back. But he's a, a real big star. Um, Becky Lynch has been elevated. That's true. Um, and and they've pulled in Ronda Rousey. There, there's another example, right? Somebody, all of these stars who are not on the roster full time, uh, and and maybe Ronda is. And I know she she went away to to have a child and all those things. But you know, Brock is not full time now. Roman Reigns is not full time. Uh, it's a very uh, strange situation i'm wondering if we're going to get any reports that does this rob gronkowski deal reinitiate now I, I, that I, he is officially retired from the nfl again? I, I, I did think about that when i saw that he yeah. retired again um anyway uh but there's no there's no uh, mojo raleigh with with the company now so yeah <sighs> anyway. or they just re-sign him <laughs> yeah. sure sure so anyway how, how big of a star is logan paul relative to some of w's other stars uh if google trends is any indication which it may or may not be but i believe google trends is a good suggestion a good place to start so what i've got here on the screen is the last 12 months of google web search and i, I put logan paul on the chart and i put the top four full-time w wrestlers well full-time the top four who actually have matches during a given year this would exclude retired wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, The Rock, and John Cena. Um, so number one is Roman Reigns. Number two is, is Brock Lesnar. Number three is Ronda Rousey. Number four, lately, is, is Cody Rhodes. Uh, put Logan Paul on the chart with those four, and you, you get he's not, over the last 12 months, with all the stuff that he does, he's not quite as high as Roman Reigns. Okay, Acknowledge him. Roman Reigns is a big star, uh, at least when it comes to how much people search about these, these personalities. But he is... He is edging out Brock Lesnar. So he would be right in between Lesnar and Reigns. Essentially that number two uh, for web search. In terms of which which reflects, if I, I, I believe nothing else we can say. It, it reflects name recognition. It reflects mind share. How much are people thinking about this person? Uh, and I think that's, uh, that, that, that's worth something in terms of understanding somebody's star power. Um, this is not somebody who's going to go to house shows. I would think it's not somebody. I don't know how many times he's going to wrestle on Raw. 
But uh, what, what did Ariel Hawani say? He's going to be on premium live events for, yes. for multiple years. So we'll see what happens there. Um, blood and guts and things of that nature. You watched this event on Dynamite? Correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, I did, I, did, I did watch uh, Blood and Guts. I mean, it was something I was kind of hyped up for here in the uh, edition of Claudio. Uh, Vignoli, so always was a fan of Claudio's work. Well, I believe JR did call Cesaro at least one time during this broadcast. Yeah, he also called uh, Ruby uh, a Soho Ruby riot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, this match was too long, right? Not not that good. Too long. I don't know. Be, being a being an old War Games uh, fan, I it, it was fine. You know, we're, those matches are supposed to be long. They're so my mom did. My stories. mom did watch this. Casual fan. Casual wow. fan. My mom, wa- so, because she knows, you know, Daniel yeah. Garcia is from Buffalo and you know, he, he trained in Buffalo. Um, so she watched, she said she watched about up to the, the, nine, the 945 mark and then had to turn it off because it was just too long. So there. Um, I, I did watch the whole thing. And uh, so millions of people must have also turned it off, right? We'll, we'll investigate this. So here we have, what we're going to look at here is not just Blood and Guts. We will look at Blood and Guts and we will look at, which was a very long match. Uh, how long was Blood and Guts match time? 46 minutes, 45 seconds. Occupied the entire second hour of Dynamite this past Wednesday. So with entrances and post-match stuff, the entire hour. I believe there's a, a, a video intro that, that even started maybe a little bit before that second hour. Um, so, but we, we have here, I believe, 10 matches from WWE and AEW that aired on weekly television. All of these matches within the last year and over 25 minutes long in match time, according to Cage Match. Um, so we have a, a, a 10-man tag from Dynamite in July of last year. We have a, a tag team. Uh, Casino Battle Royal, a three-way tag match from Raw with RK Bro winning the tag titles. We have a Gauntlet Women's, nope, we have a Gauntlet NXT tag match from this past April. We have the Adam Page and Brian Danielson 30-minute match, which, which was the rematch of their hour draw. The Brian Danielson Kenny Omega 30-minute match from September. MJF and CM Punk 38-minute match from February. Uh, a Gauntlet Women's match from Raw and one of the preemptions on Sci-Fi from February. Blood and Guts from this past Wednesday and the 60 minute Adam page, Brian Danielson match from December on dynamite. So anyway, we'll go through this one by one sort of, um, who's a draw style. And we will, we'll ask ourselves the question, do what, you know, do these long matches help viewership or do people kind of get tired of it and, and think, you know, this is going on too long and I'm going to tune out of this. So we'll see what happens. We'll have blood and guts as, as one data point, and we will look at other data points to sort of I, – what I would guess I would like to think about here is um, are good long matches good for TV? Should, should Tony Khan and Vince McMahon think about doing more of them or fewer of them? So let's look first and foremost at this past Wednesday's quarter hours. And what we see, second hour of uh, Dynamite showing, is that this, this first quarter at the top of the hour – um, which in the last four uh, weeks of Dynamite usually doesn't move much at all. Usually, what we've got here in the for people watching on YouTube, we've got here lined up next to the quarter to quarter movement is what the trend is, what the last four weeks did on a median basis, what we can expect, and and this grew the audience in 
the first quarter of the second hour tremendously. Six, up 16% in the demo, up 8% in total viewership. Whereas, again, that quarter is usually flat. The following quarter usually drops a little. It grew a little. The next quarter usually drops a few percent more. It was stable in total viewership. It was down uh, a normal amount in the demo. And then the final quarter uh, for Dynamite, with the culmination, the, the finish and the post-match of Blood and Guts, flat when it's usually flat. Up in the demo when it's usually essentially flat. So I, I would say, you know, and, and as, as I tweeted um, on Wednesday night, as the show was happening, before the match started, I think, that, you know, long matches usually help viewership. I should be transparent with my belief coming into this analysis. The long matches usually help viewership. And what's been happening lately on Dynamite is Dynamite has been, you know, they have the Big Bang Theory that helps them start out strong. But even after the Big Bang Theory wears off after 15, 30 minutes or so, they're still struggling to hold on to viewers throughout the second hour. You know, if we, we look at that trend line that I draw, I don't have ready, but if we look at that trend line that I draw on the quarter hour charts that people may be familiar with, what we've been seeing a lot lately is that, that trend line going negative in the second hour. That is not what happened this week. This bucked the trend. So I would say, if you didn't like this match being long, that's, that's your personal taste, but I think this did well for... Uh, for for the ratings, um, so that, that I think that's the answer to blood and guts. Um, any uh, any any retorts there, Cole? No, I mean you can see. I mean, just even the entrance is doing the increase that they did. Like, um, yeah. you can see I mean, that, the, that, the, go ahead. that that quarter had that quarter had entrances, then it had an ad break, yeah. and then it had more entrances, and, and then but the match did start in the first fifteen minutes of the nine o'clock hour. Yeah. So, we'll move on to, to Raw on Valentine's Day this year with the, the gauntlet match between, uh, God, who's in this? Rhea Ripley, Nikki Ash, Liv Morgan, Dewdrop, and Bianca Belair. Um, so, this is a gauntlet match. Maybe this is not like to like because a gauntlet match is a series of singles matches, sort of in a, in a relay, right? Um, you could argue that this is not really the same as thinking about one match being one long match. This is sort of a relay of, of individual matches, perhaps. Nonetheless, I think there's still this sort of emotional psychological effect with the audience in that we want to see the culmination of this. Who's going to come out the winner at the end? So anyway, what we had here in this, this women's gauntlet match is this stretch from the 9 o'clock hour to the 10 o'clock hour. So stretched across the entire hour? Wow. What was the match time? Yeah. Uh, here it is, 44 minutes. So yes, this did, this did stretch across the entire hour when you probably included entrances and maybe post-match and the ad break, uh, at the end afterward. So, so what this did was, let's see, uh, it started up 2%, but that's normal and about normal in a demo too. Dropped worse in the second quarter of it, a little bit more than, than normal, but even in the, in the, in the demo, uh, outperformed in this Q7, which is the third quarter of this match in total viewership, outperformed in the demo, and uh, but then underperformed. And we do have two ad breaks in here in this final quarter, which may be what's driving this uh, underperforming of the trend of you know negative nine percent versus negative two percent. So this is a case where I would like to have the minute by minute numbers and, the, and then just factor out all of those ad break minutes and, and see what this really did. Um, but this at least. I, I would argue, despite this last quarter appearing to be negative, while usually it's not as negative, I would argue that that's probably driven by 
the ad breaks, two ad breaks in one quarter, uh, as opposed to, and they did get to use, so this was on sci-fi, usually on when Raw is on USA Network, they do not do picture-in-picture ads. They did when they were preempted to sci-fi during the Winter Olympics time. Um, if nothing else, I, I think this is not a negative story. This, it's not like this This long match killed the viewership, would be my reading of this, despite that bad-looking quarter, but it had two ad breaks in it. So anyway, we go on to Dynamite on February 2nd with the long MJF versus CM Punk main event, uh, which you know did in the range of 900,000 viewers, in the range of 450,000 viewers in the demo. Uh, first quarter of it underperformed a little bit. Second quarter of it overperformed. And last quarter of it performed solidly. So I, I would call that, you know, not detrimental, not, not a negative story. Uh, when we're dealing with, you know, a few points of percent difference, not a huge, not a huge story to me in this, this first quarter. But then you have this other one that, that overperformed significantly, I would say, where negative five was the norm coming in. Positive four. And then they, it basically performs on par for the last quarter. So... I would say that's positive, uh, slightly. Then January 5th. So the January 5th uh, example will be tough because this is the first ever Dynamite on TBS. This is the first ever episode that had Big Bang Theory lead-in. Uh, and what, so, so the trailing four weeks are four trailing weeks on TNT. So what we see here actually is a huge t- tune-out in... Uh, so this is for the 30-minute. This is for the rematch, right? So this is the one that goes about 30 minutes. Uh, and we see way, way under performance in Q2. There's probably a lot of Big Bang Theory lead-in folks tune out. Uh, and then we see stronger retention and actually some growth in the, in the last quarter of this match. Um, I guess I, I would say that that is uh, inconclusive. But if we looked at... What we really would want to look at here is, you know, what did the following quarters, uh, what did the following episodes do in terms of a trend? Anyway, I would say that's inconclusive, not to get bogged down here in audio. Um, and then the tag team gauntlet match from NXT, um, which, along with a lot of stuff, dropped tremendously in Q7 here with a negative 12%, but a plus three versus a plus one in the demo. Um, and then we have this, this ad break here. Uh, so the second quarter of this, which was also the only core that we're looking at here that is a full 15 minutes and is in the, the entirety of the gauntlet match, which overperformed strongly in the demo, overperformed strongly in the demo and the overrun versus the overrun, usually doing a 10% did a 19% here. So I would say that's a mostly positive story uh, for, for that NXT tag team gauntlet match where pretty deadly comes out on top as the new NXT tag team champions. And then the three-way triple threat, the triple threat match for the for the tag titles where RK Bro end up winning the tag titles, I believe, from Alpha Academy. Uh, also, Seth Rollins and uh, Kevin Owens were the third team in this match. Uh, this uh, doesn't really grow in Q2, whereas it usually grows. This grows more than normal in, in the Q3, which is the second quarter of the match. And then it grows really strongly, uh, whereas it's usually flat for this Q4, uh, which is the culmination of the match. So I would say that's a positive story. Um, getting over 2 million viewers uh, on March 7th momentarily at a time when they're probably not hitting 2 million very often uh, for, for what psychologically that's worth. Uh, but a positive story, I would say. And then, is this the last one? No. Jeez. 
oh, there's quite a few more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there is. And then uh, the hour-long match between Danielson and Adam Page from December fifteenth. Uh, this so we're, we're this is the TNT. This is the TNT era. So ex- excuse me for having this this TBS here. I could program that out. Anyway, up two percent versus you know usually down decline, but not as badly as usual. Grew tremendously, whereas it's usually flat, and then flat when it's usually almost flat. So I'd say that's a very positive story for that one-hour match. More one-hour matches is what I would argue for here. Uh, anyway, we'll be more serious in a moment. And then September 22nd with the uh, Omega and Danielson match. <clears throat> Again, this is the TBS era. This is incorrect at the top here. Um, God, 1.2 million viewers. September. Remember September? Jesus. Yep. That was a different Do you time. remember I, I, the 22nd of September? Is that a song? I mean... Yeah, yeah well, it's it, 21st of November. Yeah. With, with, with the benefit of hindsight and getting away from from this, this in-the-present moment where we're analyzing the week-to-week nonsense of ratings, but to look back, this is startling to see this, knowing what, what Dynamite is doing now. It really emphasizes to me how hot that period was in September, just after the the debut of you know it's more than a month after now, but j- just after the debut of CM Punk, the arrival of Brian Danielson, yep. and uh, th- this match was advertised. And look at this: this hit 1.3 million viewers. Anyway, um, this 30 minute draw, right? Uh, and this is Arthur Ashe, right? I believe that's correct. Yes, this, is, this was the um, Arthur Ashe Stadium out- show. Yeah, so outperformed in that Q2, and about on par in the following. So I would say positive story there. Um, July 28th, 2021, uh, 10-man tag that opened the show. Again, all these matches over 25 minutes um, grew or, or held, held steady. Uh, so that's, that's a positive quarter there. And then outperformed in, in the, the third quarter of the match. So I would say that's definitely a positive story. Um, there you have it. Uh, I don't know if you're taking notes in your composition book there, Golo, but... Um, uh, I mean, overall, long matches are good for television. They don't really kill the ratings. If anything, they hold it, but they build, they grow it a lot, too. Should there be more long matches in wrestling? I, you know, I remember back in the day, I mean, heck, if you would listen to the right podcast, it's still happening, right? Nobody wants to see wrestling on wrestling shows. That's obvious. That's... Everyone agrees about that, right? Uh, people tune in to U.S. pro wrestling shows because they want to see the drama, the storyline, the soap opera. They want to see all, all the talking segments and all the promos. That's what people want. If you look back to the Attitude Era, it was nothing but garbage wrestling and promos, and that's what made it popular. And that's what brought in the casual fan, the mainstream people, and all the people who never would watch wrestling anyway. They don't want to see long wrestling matches because people tune out of that, right? So, so what's happening here? Um... I mean, it's it's the opposite. Like, I, I think the real – I think the person that truly likes pro wrestling is the person that's still tuning in. So wait a minute. You're saying – I think the people, one that just wants to see promos and characters and – Are you saying that when people tune into a program that has the word wrestling in it or at least has an initialism like WWE that has the word wrestling in it, that they actually might want to see professional wrestling matches? Between excellent wrestlers. isn't that is it? I know it's it, it's a foreign concept. I get it, 
yes. everything that everything that I've learned from the history of U.S. professional wrestling the last twenty years, um, maybe not so much from actually observing the content and the economic output of that content, but at least from listening to the people who have had positions of power in wrestling over the last twenty years, twenty five ish, thirty maybe, listening to those those people who have who have been in the who have been there, they've they've been there, listening to those people, th- this this makes no sense. Anyway, moving on. Um, Big Ten. Tell me about the Big Ten. Um, So this past week, it was announced that USC and UCLA are going to join the Big Ten Conference in 2024. This is big for multiple reasons. First off, obviously, the landscape of college sports and the aspect of what happens now to the Pac-12. Now the Big Ten has to rename itself the Big 12, right? No. Nope. There are, they've been more than 10. <laughs> so I, I was talking to you about this this week. It, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, geography doesn't matter anymore. Number of, of uh, teams in the conference don't matter anymore. Pac-12. Does the though, Pac-12, they, Pac-12 have 12 teams? I believe so, yes. Well, now they have okay. 10. <laughs> and then uh, they used to be the Pac-10. Um, and then uh, there's stories about who they're going to add or whatever, but... That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about TV rights, right? Because that's how it constitutes the WrestleNomics business. So the uh, Big Ten Network, well, the, I'm sorry, the Big Ten TV rights deal is up next year. So obviously this is the negotiation here, okay? They currently air their games between ESPN and Fox, but Fox also owns 61% of the Big Ten Network, which shows all the second-tier sports and then maybe the second-tier football and basketball games. Okay, but just between the premier football games, ESPN and and, and Fox currently split those and they pay four hundred thirty million dollars a year together. I mean, combined for those TV rights before the addition of USC and UCLA, as Bloomberg reports, it was projected that they were going to top a billion dollars a year. And that is before you add two colleges between Fox and ESPN just, together. Well, no, whoever gets the rights. So there's whoever, only one one rights holder? Yeah, so of these premier games. So it, it could be a split thing, but what they have reported here is ESPN, CBS, uh, Comcast, uh, NBC, Amazon, Apple have expressed interest in bidding on the remaining games according to the Sports Channel. So, okay, so this must be from what Fox doesn't have, which reported the conference's t- total haul for the media rights will top a billion dollars a year even before the two Los Angeles universities were added. And that's from uh, Jerry Smith's article that was out on the first uh, from Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. And that's before adding two colleges in the second largest media market in the United States. So this is going to be historic. I think this, this rights deal, it will be the largest in college football. I think are these, is this the big league? Is this, so that's all the big names. Is there another no. conference that that's yes. that's bigger? Well, Southeastern Conference, the SEC, which SEC. much like how the Big Ten has their own network, where Fox owns a controlling interest, ESPN owns a controlling interest, and in the SEC network. Okay, uh, and yeah, so those are the two: ACC, Pac-12, obviously substantial rights there, but at this point, the two biggest of the Power Five, I would say for TV rights and media power would be the SEC and the Big Ten. And does this affect 
football only? Is are these colleges That's now basketball? Okay, yeah, and other stuff too. Okay, I mean the second tier sports, yeah. Hmm. So why why isn't there just like one league? Why do we have these conferences? It's all about money. <laughs> it's it's all about money because what happens is, so whatever deal these conferences get. So for example, they sign this over a billion dollar deal with Amazon and Fox, right? Then now every college gets a percentage of that deal a year, just large money flowing into these universities. And I'm sure presidents and athletic directors and sports directors are getting a bonuses and percentages off it. I mean, the money in college sports is absolutely insane. Right. And so when you're in a, a conference, everybody yes. in the conference plays each other. Is, is that part of it? Yep. And this is and in the Bloomberg article to discuss that one of the move, reasons why USC and UCLA wanted to do this is because they want the majority of their games to be seen in like an Eastern time zone. So obviously you can't really do anything a lot about the away games, but now all the, I mean, I'm sorry, the home games, but all their away games now will be at seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, four o'clock in the afternoon, one o'clock in the end. Like they're going to be at premier television times and not at 11 o'clock at night on the East coast. Okay. Um, UB is in the ACC. Is that right? No, UB is in the mid American conference. Okay. They are Mac. a mid, they're a mid major. So okay. they're not a power five. And there's 100 football teams in the NCAA division one. Is that correct? A little, uh, might be a little more than that now. Okay. Um, but, are, but around that number. So, so, this Big Ten is like the number two conference. SEC is is number one when it comes to star power. I would, I mean, Who's I would in the SEC is like Notre Dame. No, no, Notre Dame's an independent because of their deal with NBC Comcast. They get okay. They get all the money to get by themselves. So they're not in a conference. No, so they can get all the mo- media rights. <laughs> are are they the biggest name though? Because I no, feel like Ohio I State so. and. So there's probably like Florida SEC okay. has Alabama. Mm. That's a, that's a, so SEC has Alabama. They have Florida. You mentioned Florida. They have Auburn. They now just added you, uh, Brandon, Texas and Oklahoma are now in the SEC. Does, that was that was what does JR think about this? Is, is JR on board? I mean, he's going to see Oklahoma, Alabama uh, once a year. I think that's probably a big deal. Um, are, are they going to – have they discussed bringing on Jim Ross to to, com- to be a, a commentator for some of those games? I think he's done, like, Has guest been. spots, at least for the radio side of things for Oklahoma, yeah. And they always – I've seen, like, watch Oklahoma games, and they say, oh, Jim Ross is here. He hangs on the sidelines a lot, or he used to, for games. I know him and Bob Stoops were really close at one point. So before when when Stoops was the coach, does he ever get any of the players' names wrong? <laughs> I don't know that. I can't. I can't tell you. Um, uh, but yeah, so th- this is this is huge. Pac-12 has got to do something. Um, it, this benefits a lot of the mid-major colleges that move into these big conferences because then they get more money of the pie. Uh, I we talked about UB at Buffalo, where we're from. They're still in a a mid-major, not a lot of money. I would hope that one day they can maybe join like the ACC, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a graduate of, of UB. You, you went to Buff State, though, correct? Buffalo State, yeah, Division Three. No, 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 no money there. Are th- so they're in a division. They're in Division Three. 
Well, yeah, division. So NCAA is broken up into Division One, Division Two, and Division Three, and that's based on size of universities, I think, and like you know, uh, and they do have and, a football team. They have a football field that yes. passed all the time. I was I was the play by play guy from two thousand three, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. D three D three football commentator Chris Gullo is joining yeah. us here. Yeah, I also did basketball and and hockey. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Uh, so it, it it looks like even more competitive bidding, even more money for TV rights fees in this case. Is that is that my takeaway here? Yes, I, I think these college sports deals are going to break records. Now the Pac-12, as we talked on this show, is up soon too. But now, what did they do? Because clearly, they're going to have to make a move, losing both teams in the Los Angeles market. Hmm. Okay. Uh, moving on to more. This is a media podcast, not just a wrestling podcast. Uh, Gavin Bridge from Variety has uh, some really insightful analysis that came out this past week uh, on Variety. Uh, the headline here is Formula One deal indicates sports rights are being driven off a cliff. Um, he's making an argument here that this isn't sustainable. Uh, the this TV rights money that, that's being handed out to, to sports leagues. Um, I'm not sure if I'm convinced, but if I, I think this is some great research that he's done here um, where he's got we we're showing here on the screen uh, some of these charts here showing the annual value of U.S. TV and streaming sports rights and how it's grown over time from 2015 to about 15 billion dollars. Now, uh, in 2023, it's going to uh, well, by 2026, it'll nearly have doubled over the course of what would that be? 11 years or so. Um, yep. And looking at the breakdown of who's getting how much of the pie here nfl of course has the biggest piece of the pie in the sports rights universe with 44 percent followed by college so i guess that would when these deals that are being that we were just talking about for the big 10 and sec and things like that that's football only football and basketball and basketball are being dealt together yes okay so i guess that that's what's being referred to here in this call out college um which is the second biggest you know, single piece, followed by the NBA, followed by Major League Baseball, which is roughly tied with soccer co- combined, which would be things like what? Uh, Premier League, La Liga, MLS. Maybe there's other things. Um, motor racing, Formula One just, just got a big upgrade. Uh, golf, pro wrestling, pro wrestling and golf are, are basically even. So pro wrestling probably combines AEW with WWE, but WWE has by far the, the bigger piece of that. Uh, the Olympics and the NHL. And then we've got another category here. So that's sort of the, the ranking, the breakdown, uh, not including tennis and things like that. And the, the estimated percentage increase over the course of 2015 to 2026, um, wrestling has the biggest upgrade uh, with a 369% increase. I, I guess that's driven by the upgrade that, I mean, I don't know what the, what the underlying data here is and the, and the formulation is here that uh, is, is driving this chart. But uh, we do know that, that Raw and SmackDown combined by being dealt to Fox and NBC Universal got a 3.6x increase over the prior deal for their current deal. So that makes some sense that rest, wrestling has this giant increase and apparently bigger than anybody else's. Uh, perhaps wrestling was undervalued previously and WWE definitely got a d- disappointing deal in 2014, largely related to, to the timing of the launch of the network. Um, so there's that. Uh, again, our, our baseline expectation for what WWE is going to be able to attract 
perhaps 1.5x. That's probably what's baked into the stock price right now. Uh, expecting maybe probably much higher, probably higher for AEW, whether or not it's going to reach my, you know, 3 to 5x estimate that, that we can do the math on to to say is uh, on par with what with what they're delivering in terms of ratings compared to what WWE's they're delivering in terms of ratings. Uh, that remains to be seen and whether or not their incumbent rights holder, Warner Brothers Discovery, is going to bid aggressively while they're preaching cost discipline, while they've expressed, ex- expressed some questioning of Warner Media investments, especially when it comes to scripted entertainment, some some questioning of, of how much Warner Brothers Discovery really values AEW when you consider how how little they were featured in the upfronts. Couple that with with Tony Khan's uh, you know Tony Khan being very eager to tell the story about how excited Warner Brothers Discovery is to be working with them and how great those meetings have gone so far. Um, so there is that. I believe that. So I guess I'm, I'm skeptical about whether or not. Do 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 you? Do you believe this, Golo, that this, let's, let's put something relevant on the screen here, this increase, this growth of sports, sports rights fees, this is not sustainable. And eventually, you know, we're talking about court cutting happening here, and we, we have a, a slide for that. We can show on the screen how less and less people are watching or subscribing to cable, which is largely what's supporting this system. Uh, this is, I don't, this is a bubble. This is a bubble that's going to burst, isn't it? Absolutely not. And that because of streaming, there's always going to be a platform to watch these sports. And who knows what it's going to be in twenty to thirty years? We don't know. You know what I mean? Um, but there's always going to be a platform. And sports has grown in popularity. Yeah, sure. There's been dips in of certain specific leagues, but sports in general has grown in popularity over the last. 30, 40, 50 years. And now with betting being legal in a lot of states and it will continue to be legal in more states, you don't think that popularity is going to even get higher and those rights deals are going to drive no matter what platform they're on. This bubble isn't going to burst. Even if linear television ends in five years, then we're talking to Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Peacock. They're all going to have the rights and paying a lot of money for it. Uh, we have people, by the way, uh, speculating in the chat that you must be a big better. I'm not. I'm. I'm just very. I. I. I was a sports business guy before I got into the WrestleNomics world. I was a wrestling fan, but like, I liked sports media. I. I had a sports talk radio show in college called the Buffalo Blitz, and you know, so I'm a little experienced in sports. So I, I would say that there, there is this problem that streaming. Right now, it's not profitable for most of these players. You know, Netflix is prof- profitable, um, but Netflix doesn't even have any sports right now. But a lot of these platforms are not profitable on their own. Maybe they'll be profitable someday, and of course, that's the goal. Um, they may not be as profitable, though, as cable TV is, uh, and, and that could be a problem. Uh, but I think cable TV, too, especially with the people who, ha- who have it and who have had it for a number of years is going to be pretty inelastic in terms of how how far you can raise the price um you know p50 plus for as long as they're alive i think they're going to be subscribing to some form of of cable uh and you can raise the price incrementally against them and it takes a lot for them to 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 cancel and to actually cut the cord um 
that might happen. But nonetheless, I, I, I think that as long as we have this disparity, which I'm trying to illustrate here, this is P1849, between the most viewed programs and the majority of the programs, there's a huge disparity between the most viewed programs still and all other programs. And what, what are the most... What is what disproportionately makes up the most viewed programs? It's sports and live sports, including wrestling. As we, we showed earlier on the screen this past Monday with the John Cena return, that was the most viewed telecast in 1849 on all of television on Monday. And Raw is often the most viewed telecast on cable when when it's not football season. NFL uh, isn't isn't on Monday Night Football on ESPN. Raw is usually the top show on Monday in the, in the demo. Um, we we we've, we've seen. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we've seen over the years with the world of television, the rise and fall of sitcoms, the rise and kind of fall of, of, you know, non-scripted TV reality shows. You know, what's never really fell sports and news, television news programs. Those are going to be always the golden standards because they're because they're happening right now. They're happening right now. If you're not watching it while it's happening. You're missing out on something, and that's just not the way that people want to consume uh, scripted entertainment or even unscripted reality shows. Uh, people want to watch that on demand because it's not as important to to watch it as it's actually because it's not happening as as you're watching it. Um, but anyway, there remains a big disparity between the most watched programs and most everything else, um, and that's not. There's not attrition happening there. That's not deteriorating. Uh, what I've got on the screen here is the number one show on average throughout an entire year versus the number 10 show. And if anything, that disparity is widening. So the most popular programs are increasingly more popular than the 10th most popular program uh, on a given day. Uh, compare that to, to the number 20. It's not as consistent of a, of a widening gap. But it's, but it's not a declining gap either between t- 2016 and six months into 2022. This is cable only, by the way. So this is only the, the showbiz cable originals. I didn't try to jam broadcast in here. Um, if we look at total viewership, it is not as wide of a gap because total viewership includes P- P50+, Plus, who are not as volatile, not, not changing over time. Uh, but, but still, do we have a decline here? I would say that's not a negative slope in terms of the gap between number one and number 10. And do we have a negative slope in terms of the difference between number one and number 20? Not really, although there is this big, big difference in 2016 that is not nearly as, as wide in, in subsequent years. Nonetheless, what we don't see here, at least yet, is a trend that, that makes everybody more comparable. That what we don't have is an increasing parity between programs, especially the top programs. And as long as there is this disparity in viewership, among the top programs compared to everything down. So I said this is a, an exponential curve. That's exactly what we're looking at here on the screen. It's even more exponential if we look at the demo, which is what drives ad rates. This is an exponential curve. So it's not, not even just a, a, like a, a straight linear-shaped curve. This is, this is an exponential curve. Um, so the most viewed programs are way more watched than the, the, the programs that are just a few ranks below. And as long as there is that disparity in viewership in the most watched programs there's going to be a disparity in fees for these programs which not all of these are sports some of them are things like award shows or big big news events but disproportionately they are sports and that does include wrestling as 
WrestleMomics listeners who, who watch what are the most highly ranked programs of the week know, it's often Raw, it's often SmackDown, and Dynamite is often finishing among the top as well. I believe they were number one this, this, uh, this week among Cable Originals, again, in the demo. Um, so as long as, as you're in the top five or so, so this does not apply to NXT. does not apply to Rampage, which is underperforming uh, on Friday nights. As long as there is this, as long as you're, you're hanging around the top five and the better you do within the top five, the better for you. But as long as you're hanging around the top five, I think you're going to be able to justify strong TV rights fees, even if that's not on cable. But see, to your point with Rampage and NXT, they're second tier programs, part of a larger package. And you see them with other sports deals. You know, we talk about college sports like, yeah, Alabama versus Auburn's going to do great ratings. But some lower level SEC games won't do as well. It's I think it's the, it's a similar thing. I think every sports package has those second tier things that you just have to throw in. And I think Rampage NXT is like we have to it's part of a larger package. And I guess some other questions that I would want to know the answer to though that make me schedule that the, the TV rights bubble is eventually going to burst. There's going to be some sort of financial crisis here. Is that you know the, the bidders that are responsible for running up these values, which we can put on the screen here the bit there's multiple bidders it's not as if there's one uh delusional bidder or two delusional bidders there's uh disney comcast viacom cbs fox disney including espn and even amazon even apple now getting involved um there are numerous bidders here even before the likes of amazon and apple got involved and yes amazon and apple have tremendously deep pockets and they can they can afford to make these loss leaders uh, more than the others can but if there's going to be a, a, a bubble burst here, I think we have to assume that they've all made the same collective miscalculation, um, which is possible, but it seems to me unlikely um, that all, all of the, the leadership in all of these companies are all getting this wrong. Um, and how much does reallocating investment away from the scripted content that's not holding the bundle, bundle together as much anymore, how much does the reallocation of not spending on that so much and how much does that free up money that they're now able to spend towards bidding aggressively for these sports TV rights? Um, furthermore, has the revenue that sports content generates for distributors, either directly or arguably indirectly, because it's creating synergy for your network and perhaps driving more viewership to your network generally, has that increased to some extent over this timeline while the rights fees have increased? So even though the cost is going up, has the revenue maybe increased also. Again, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that's a worthy question. Um, so anyway, I think that's all I have to say about that. Um, all right. And I guess we can, we can, I have some other things here on, on these slides, but um, we, we can look at, you know, is, is a VMVPD, what's a VMVPD? That, that I don't know. It is a, what is it, you know what it stands for? It, it stands no. for, Virtual, ooh, what does MVPD stand for? I don't know if I know, but I know. So the MVPD is just a way of saying cable or satellite. Okay. Multi, multi-channel video programming distributor, I think is what it stands for. Uh, the V in VMVPD, which is a small, small case, the virtual, virtual MVPDs, which include things like Sling and Hulu Live TV and FUBU. Everyone's favorite question. Does that, do the ratings... Uh, include include the streaming on on Sling and Hulu Live TV. What's the answer to that call? Yes, yes, they do. Um, 
Anyway, is that offsetting the big attrition in, in cable and satellite? No, it's not. But it is positive, at least it is growing uh, in most of these quarters here year over year. We've got, you know, mid to high to low single digits in, in growth most of these quarters, with the exception of Q3 2021, where it did go down 2.5%. But otherwise, there is some growth there. It doesn't look like it's going to offset uh, the larger decline in cable and satellite, especially satellite. Satellite is, is declining worse than cable, even though you hate your cable company. I don't know if you hate your cable company as much as you hate your DirecTV and Dish Network company, but other traditional, which includes satellite largely, is declining worse than cable generally. We're, we're basing this, by the way, on a report uh, that comes out quarterly from LGR Research. They, I believe, go through a lot of SEC filings and public reports and collect uh, the subscriber counts for major MVPD providers. So this is not all of the U.S. cable and satellite traditional TV world, but it is most of it. Um, and that's where we're at. Uh, among that total, we're at 74 million subs. So it's probably a little higher than that. 74 million homes. Again, probably a little bit higher than that as of March 2022. All right. We do have a couple of super chats as we wrap up the show here. Uh, uh, NYCKNP, I can see linear and streaming deals negotiated separately, similar to the uh, what the IPL did. That's it. We, we have not uh, discussed. Yeah, IPL just renewed its deal, right? I don't have those details on hand, but we, we should be we should be talking about that too. That's a good point. I mean, we you discussed that Rampage could be on a streaming service. That could be a different deal for when that's done with 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 AEW, like linear TV. That, that, that's Dynamite. what makes the most sense to me. Yeah, because it's it's. I don't know if if you were to deal it away from Warner Brothers Discovery, I don't know where where it fits, but it could fit in streaming. Streaming needs content, and it's never going to be favored. It's never going to have a better time slot in the incumbent network unless you put it on a, on a weaker network, and that's not worth it. So anyway, do you know what IPL is? Uh, that that is. Hold on a second here. I have to look here. Is that that's cricket, right? Yes, you uncultured swine. Yes, it's cricket. No, I figured it was cricket, but I didn't want to say it wrong. I did to confirm. Um, I have a question for what I just brought up the point, right? We talked about how, like, AEW could shop Rampage to a streaming service. Is WWE pigeonholed where anything they put on the streaming has to go to Peacock? No. Why? No. Why be? Okay. Like, so, for example, they're like, you know what? NXT is, is just Comcast doesn't want to carry NXT anymore. But instead of putting on Peacock, they 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 got to deal with Apple TV. Hey, Apple TV is going to have NXT on Wednesday nights. When that deal is up, I don't see why they couldn't. Or Tuesday nights, yeah. Okay. I, would, I would guess that I would guess that's a two two year deal. This is just a guess. I mean, because the other deal, the previous deal was two years. I'll get. Let's say this is a two year deal that, um, probably went into the into effect this past fall. So it would, it would expire two years from September twenty twenty one. So that'd be September twenty twenty three. I would, I would think maybe they wanted it to align with the other deal, so it might expire yeah. September twenty twenty four. That would probably be best for them, so that they could put things together, yeah, yeah. put put something together if they wanted to. But I see no reason why they couldn't sell NXT. You know, yeah, I wasn't sure up. if yeah, I wasn't sure if they could put it on a different streaming service. But that makes I mean, sense. I, 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 unless there's something in the Peacock contract that says you can't make a deal with any streaming service other than us, which I, in the U.S., which I doubt. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we just want to thank Joseph Carino. Just, just gave us uh, some money. Thank you, Joseph. 
Thank you. I- IPL, by the way, according to Google, the third most searched for sport in all the world, sports league in all the world, uh, more than the NBA, more than the English Premier League. Or I'm sorry, those two are more than IPL. IPL is above everybody. And look, look at this, this growth in IPL worldwide uh, search over time, the last few years especially. Um, I, I discovered that Google Trends, which I just ran my script last night because it was, you know, the night of the second. Every night of the second, a script runs on this computer. Uh, and but, but even before that, I, this earlier this week, I discovered that there's, there's been some change in how this data is, is appearing. Um, hopefully this is a Google Trends problem and, and not a me problem. But uh, we, we've got, if you look at these two, two charts side by side, we end up with like, what? NBA and Premier League tied, whereas this is this on the right is a is a slide from the Russellonics Pro Wrestling Industry Report 2021, where Premier League was decidedly above NBA. Um, and I don't know if I'm including the current year, and maybe that's what's happening. Anyway, anything else to add here? Um, no, we just uh, we got another super chat coming in from Justin Robinson. You should bring in Jesse more. I enjoy his takes. He's uh, speaking of Jesse Collins. Well, yes, yes, we love having Jesse out. Yes. Thank, thank you, Jesse. You're not the only one that I've, that I've heard that from. Appreciate that. Um, will, I'm, I'm sure we will, uh, if, if, if Jesse uh, will make time for us, we will have him on again soon in the future. Um, so any, anything else? Any, all, is those all the chats? Yeah, the, we, are, we are caught up on all the chats, yes. Okay. Thumbs up, like, subscribe, share. We appreciate everyone listening. Um, there's a, it's the new month. Today's the third, so this is a great time to sign up for the WrestleNomics Patreon at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Um, my TV ratings reports are coming out nearly every weekday for the U.S. telecast for Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, New Japan, Impact, and others. Quarter hour reports are a part of that, too. You get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. It's got, we've got over 2,000 rows of data in there, not to mention all the analysis. Uh, you get slides, these slides that you're looking at on YouTube if you're looking at it on YouTube right now. Uh, for all of our podcasts, we've also been putting out uh, these Who's a Draw and Company Popularity Update podcasts that also have slides uh, that that subscribers get exclusive access to. Um, you also get access to the Pro Wrestling Industry Reports for each of the last three years, as well as occasional additional reporting, including things like the report that I put out uh, this past week on AEW pay-per-view buys and the report on what Forbidden Door did on pay-per-view. Um, again, you can subscribe for just $5 a month. Join the hundreds of subscribers, including wrestlers and executives in the business, and subscribe at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. We're also looking for um, somebody to help us out uh, with some basically basic graphic design. I don't need, like, original artworks, but some basic graphic design to create things like thumbnails, uh, maybe to do things like video editing for help us create the excerpts of our podcast on YouTube uh, and, and maybe even TikTok, uh, fellow kids. So, again, th- and this would be something that, somebody would be paid for if you if you have those skills uh please reach out to me um what do you have going on chris call uh, another bunch of july is kind of a late month as far as ring announcing so listen to of course when i'm on wrestlenomics here and rediscovering the indies uh we've been a little bit delayed on our new episode due to my uh partner having a very very busy uh week here in uh for game changer wrestling uh so uh we're going to uh ho- hopefully have a new episode for you next week so it's been a very busy summer for himself and myself too, but mostly. <laughs> yes. Um, we thank post wrestling as always for being our podcast distribution partner. We're going to try something new here. Chris Cole, do you want to read us out? 
I can definitely read us out. So we want to give special thanks to WrestleNomics uh, contributors Jason Opernseth, uh Chris Ely. Opernseth. Yeah, Umbrister. See, I, I, I've, I've, I know it was Ur, but like the Ur's not there, so yeah. I've, I've Jason Umbrister. I've, I've got the, the the phonetic pronunciation for you in the notes. Oh, okay. Oh, I see that there. Uh, wait, so, so Chris Ely, uh, technical consultant Phil Chertok. Special thanks to John Pollock, Wei Ting, and Corey Gibson. Uh, Showbuzz, uh, Showbuzz Daily, and Russell Ticks. WrestleNomics was created by Chris Harrington, distributed in cooperation with Post Wrestling, and supported by listeners and viewers like you. Thanks to the Sears Roebuck Foundation. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.